0: I would like to invite anyone who's in grade 6, 7, or 8 to come and sit in the front row. Please don't be afraid. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come on stage. But I've got a special challenge for you today. No, no, you don't have to sit on the floor. You can actually sit on the chair. Pastor Justin's here, Dennis is here. And for you, who are an extension, I have a special challenge for today's service. There's some space in the back row as well, this one right there. That's it, great. All of you have a choice today. You're gonna complete a challenge. You will have a choice to either use your phone, and you can use the QR code that's on the screen. And if you don't like that idea, fine with me, I thought of a backup. You will have a paper copy, which Dennis will hand out to you. We have clipboards, and we have pencils, we've got everything you need. So here's the idea. You don't have to work on your own, you can share answers with each other, but as I speak, I want you to fill out that piece of paper. It's two sides. And here's the challenge. For every single submission that comes in, either online or by paper, at the end of the service, Unionville Alliance Church is going to make a $5 donation to to Operation Christmas Child. Naomi? (laughs) I knew I'd get that from her. But for you as well, you get some treats, okay? At the end of the service. So anyone else out there who's in grade six, seven, or eight who hasn't come, please come now. For the rest of you, you're welcome to use that QR code, but I'm sorry, no treats for you. (laughs) Just for these guys at the front. So we are starting our new series, our Christmas series, Emmanuel, God with us. And today we're going to focus on God. Who is this God? I want you, first of all, to imagine that you have an evening with your three best buddies. It could be your best friends, it could be someone in your family that you love, the three best people that you just love to spend time with. And the four of you are going to get together at your house, and you're going to have an evening together. You're looking forward to it, because you just love these people. But every time you get together, you have so much fun. You're going to share some food, whatever type of food you like. For some of you, it may be that you're going to get together and you're really going to make an in-depth, exquisite meal. For others, you're going to order pizza. It doesn't matter, no judgment. It's whatever you like, Okay, so you're doing that. You're going to have an activity that you absolutely love to do. Maybe for some of you, you're going to watch the football game. Maybe for others, you're going to play board games. Or for others, you'll do whatever you want to do. Okay, And so it happens. Imagine yourself there, you're having an absolutely wonderful time with your friends, Uh, lots of laughter, Uh, belly-aching laughter, actually. You have such a great evening together, high-fives going on, and then the evening comes to an end, and then you say goodbye, and off you go, with these wonderful memories of this absolute day that took place. However, as you had that evening together, you were aware of all kinds of things. You were aware of things that you could smell, the food, things you could touch, uh, the couches you sat on, and anything like that. You were aware of what your friends were wearing, what you were wearing. You were aware of so many different things, but there was something that no one was aware of, because there was an unseen reality going on in that evening with you and your friends. One of you, brought along an unwelcome guest. And as the evening progressed, that guest, who was unseen, did its work. And the next morning, all four of you wake up, you've got a runny nose, you've got congestion, you've got a headache, you've got achy bones, you feel miserable, and you just want to wrap yourself up in a blanket. And then you talk to your friends, and you find out that all of you have the same thing. What happened there? Somebody brought that virus into the committee. You can just write it down, okay? Somebody brought that um, virus. Oh, our pastor Justin and Daniel didn't do a good job. We don't know which one of you brought that virus into the uh, meeting. We don't know how it spread from person to person. Was it one sneeze that did it and everybody got infected? Or was it one person passed it to the next, and the next person passed it to the next, and the next person passed it to the next? We don't know. But what we do know is that unseen reality affected you just as much as everything that you could see. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the unseen realities that were taking place on the night that Jesus was born. And as we do that, we're gonna come up with the big idea. We're gonna focus on these unseen realities and we're gonna come up with this big idea. Okay, extension, this is important. This is important. Hint, this is important. All right, God is holy. God wants intimacy with us. (laughs) God is waiting for our response. This is so important that I think we need to say it together. So I'm going to ask these two sides of the sanctuary to say, God is holy. Are you ready? God is holy. And on these two sides, I'm going to ask you to say, God wants intimacy with us. And the middle, you get to say, God is waiting for our response. God is waiting for our response. Extension, you with me? Okay, remember, you can share answers with each other. It doesn't have to be individual work. So let's get into our story. The night that Jesus was born... Cecilia read to you the scripture verses of the shepherds who were in the field. On that particular day, if you were in Bethlehem, it would have been a day like any other day. Except, of course, if you were an innkeeper, because you were really busy, because there was a lot of people in town. But basically everyone else, it was a typical regular day. They went to work, they came home, they ate, they made food, they took care of their children, they did what we normally do on an everyday basis. A lot of people probably did not even notice that there was a young couple with a brand new baby in the barn. And it was also a very normal, everyday day for the shepherds. There they were, at work, in the fields, taking care of their sheep. So put yourself into that story. Where are you every day? In your office? At school, think of yourself maybe sitting in your math class. It was a typical day. Everything around them was normal within this world, within the limits of time and space. They were were moving around and living through their life normally, totally unaware of what was unseen. But God gave the shepherds a vision of what was unseen, which was just as real as what was seen. And what was it? Those shepherds who were just sitting there taking care of their sheep, maybe they were joking around, maybe they were talking about politics, we don't know what they were doing. But suddenly, they see one angel, one, just one. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Imagine that. All these people sitting there, and they see one angel, and it was so impactful that they all felt the Lord's radiance. And what was their response? They were terrified. They were terrified with just one. And then the story goes on. A little bit later in the reading, suddenly the angels were joined by a vast host of others. Now we're not just one. We have a vast, we have armies of angels in the sky that these people can see. Now imagine, if you're sitting in math class, or if you're in your factory or office and you see this, what do you think? This is not every day that you see something like this. And the angels are saying, glory to God in the highest. Not the highest, but the highest heaven. This gives us a picture of who God is. He is so big, he is bigger than we ever think, imagine he could be, and we are so small. These people were absolutely terrified at this vision, okay? But that's not all. It doesn't only happen here. This image of God is throughout scriptures. So I'd like to give you a few so that we can bring them all together, okay? In Revelation, this is the last book of the Bible, John is uh, in in the island of Pathmas, and he gets a vision. And he also sees some angels. And what are these angels doing? in Revelations chapter four. Each of the four living creatures, day and night, they never stop saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's who God is. He has angels around them, not one or two or three. He's got armies of angels praising him night and day. He is so holy. But that's not all, there's more examples. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter six. This is the story of the prophet Isaiah who is now just receiving his call to become a prophet. And he also gets a vision of heaven. And this is what he sees. Again, several angels. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple and the foundations of the entire building were filled with smoke. Now imagine if that happened right here, right now. The entire building shakes, and the entire sanctuary is filled with smoke. What would our response be? We'd probably be falling flat on our faces. Fear and awe of the holiness of God. And that is a very common response to God's holiness. This is, this example comes from Exodus. Now the Israelites are just approaching the Mount Sinai, where they're going to receive the law. And Moses is gonna go up the mountain, but God comes down at this very dramatic moment to, to just let them know of his presence. And this is what it was like when his presence came to the mount. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And what was the response of the people? Everyone in the camp trembled. This camp was not made of 30 or 40 people. We're talking about thousands. And everyone is trembling at the presence of God. If we flip over to the New Testament in Luke, we have an an example there where Jesus was with some of his uh, disciples and he was going up and he was praying with them. And this is the time when he's actually being transfigured. And they went with him and saw this. And it says here that when they were overshadowed by the cloud, they were afraid. This is the reaction we have when we see God, because God is so holy. If we were to stand in the presence of God, we would be obliterated. It's just kind of like the sun. We absolutely and totally need the sun. Without the sun, we'd be dead, essentially. But if we're to stand in the presence of the sun, we, our bodies cannot contain that power. And it's the same with God. Our weak, human, sinful bodies cannot contain His power and His holiness. We are so sinful in the nature of who we are, and we are so weak that we cannot contain His power. And this is the, the great story of the Incarnation. As we talk about Emmanuel, God with us, this is the God we're talking about. This powerful God is with us. And this is his great love that we're not obliterated, that we're not falling flat on our faces, because he has restrained his power to come in a human form so that he can make a way for us to have that intimacy with God. It reminds me of a great story. How many of you have ever read or watched The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? Great story. If you haven't, I recommend that you do. This is a story about four siblings who go visit their uncle in the country. And while they're in his house, they're exploring his house, they find a wardrobe. And, of course, they're playing hide-and-seek. The wardrobe's a great place to hide. And they discover the land of Narnia. Now, the land of Narnia is a wonderful place. Unfortunately, though, it's covered in snow, and it's always winter, because it has been cursed. The wicked queen has cursed the land of Narnia, and everyone is living under this curse. But there's rumor that Aslan, the king, is coming, and so there's hope amongst Ar- Narnia. And in the story, Susan, who's one of the children, is having a conversation with Mr. Beaver, and they're actually going on their way to see Anselin. And this is the conversation. "'Oh,' said Susan, "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion.' "'Safe?' said Mr. Beaver. "'Who said anything about safe?' "'He's not safe, but he's good.' How safe is God? God constrains His power so we can experience intimacy with Him. So let's have a quick review. Our big idea, God is holy. God wants intimacy with us. God is waiting for our response. So we talked about His holiness, that it is so great, that it is bigger than what we think it is, and we are smaller than who we think we are. But through his love, and through his coming to earth, he has allowed us intimacy with him. And he wants that intimacy with us. In fact, intimacy with God will revolutionize your entire life. You'll experience the glory of God, right here, right now. Since Jesus has come and died for us, we know and we have a hope that we will be with him in that glory when we leave this world. But our salvation is not for then. It is for then, but it is also for now. Right here, right now, we can experience the glory of God. That sounds quite exciting. And there are so many examples of people who've experienced this glory and had lives that were above the mediocrity of the majority of us. Let's look at some examples of those. We have Moses in Exodus, when he went up to spend time with God, and all the people were waiting at the bottom of the mountain. And Moses was with God alone for a long time. And he had such intimacy with God. And we don't know the depths of the conversations he had with God but when he came down, his face was radiant. It was shining. The results of his intimacy with God is that his actual physical body changed, and that as people were around him, they felt that radiance. And then there's an example of Elisha's servant. This is also in the Old Testament, the older part of our Bible. And this is a story Uh, where King Aram is fighting against Israel, and he's bringing all his uh, forces and fighting against Israel. But the problem he's having is that all his military secrets are being given to the Israelites. And this is driving the king insane. So he comes to the conclusion that he has a spy amongst his ranks. Because whatever he plans, the Israelites already know about it. So he's trying to figure out who's the spy in his ranks. And his people in his army say to him, oh, no, no, it's not us, it has nothing to do with us. It's that prophet Elijah who lives in Israel. Because whatever you say in your bedroom in secret, God tells him. Now imagine having such intimacy with God that you knew that much. Not for the sake of him being greater than other people, not for the sake of Elisha being so proud that I'm greater than you are, but to to do good for others, to bring forth God's kingdom into this earth. So this is what happens. The King Aram just gets all his army together, and they're after Elijah. That's the goal. Forget Israel. Forget the entire nation. They're after Elijah. So they come along with all these uh, soldiers mounted on horses, and then Elijah's servant and Elijah are together. Elijah can see the unseen realities in that moment in time, but the servant can't. So imagine yourself as a servant. You stand up in the morning, you step outside your home, and you see them coming. You see thousands of people on horses coming for the sole purpose of killing you. How do you feel? How do you guys feel? Okay. Elijah is not nervous. He's probably cool as a cucumber standing there. And he just prays, oh God, open up my servant's eyes. And suddenly the servant can see thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angelic army, people, uh, angels fighting for Elijah and protecting him. Suddenly, he's not as nervous anymore. Now, could you imagine having a life like that? What do you worry about? What do you fear? But to have that close intimacy with God, that you could have your feet here on this earth, but your mind and your eyes able to connect with eternity. You could live through life much calmer than what we normally do. Because we tend to get worried and worked up about so many things. We forget that God is for us and not against us. Not that we're going to have a life that's going to be easy. No, we're not saying that at all, because Christ himself said, you will have difficulties in this world, but I have overcome them. So Elisha is having difficulties but he's not stressed out. He's not wringing his hands and being so nervous, and, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? He sees the angels that are for him, and he knows that he'll be okay. Let me give you an example that's not in the Bible. Let me give you the example of George Mueller. This man lived from 1805 to 1898. And if he was to be described, most people would describe him as a man of prayer. Now George lived in England and what he noticed at that time, he and his wife together noticed that a lot of the children were being exploited. This was a time that if you were very poor you couldn't always take care of your children so you had to give them up to orphanages. So there was a lot of children in orphanages but they were being exploited. So he felt very very convicted to take the children and start taking care of them. But he had the equivalent of maybe 50 cents in his pocket. What is he going to do? He can't do very much. But he had that intimacy with God. He had such a deep prayer life. And he stepped into it and he said, God, if this is what you want to do, then you need to provide for us. And he had this way of thinking that he was not gonna go and ask people for money. He was not gonna go and advertise what he was doing. If this was from God, God was going to provide, and so he started taking in children, one, two, three, and so on, until he outgrew his home, and then they bought a bigger place, and then they actually brought some property with um, more than one building on it. And this went on for about 60 years, and he took care of thousands of children, feeding them, clothing them, giving them an education, giving them a childhood without exploitation. This was no easy endeavor, especially since he wasn't asking people to give him money. So he has many, many, many stories of God's provision for his life. And I'm going to share a story with you now. And this is the way George was living with such intimacy with God, so this is the way he lived. There was nothing to eat in the house. His attitude was, Let's get ready to go school. Let's go, guys." Everyone gets ready for school. Uh, they all get dressed, they all come to the breakfast table. He says, "'Okay, let's now give thanks for the food we are about to receive.'" There's no food in the house. Suddenly, there's a, door, a knock on the door. It's the baker. "'Oh, man, I just couldn't sleep last night. I just had this urge to get up and just do something nice for you guys, so I baked a lot of bread. Here it is.'" And no sooner had that baker left, there was another knock on the door. It's the milkman his truck broke down. Where? Right in front of the orphanage. And you know what? The milk is gonna spoil if it sits there, so you might as well have it. So, I mean, we read that story and we think, oh great, isn't that interesting? Wouldn't it be interesting to live like that? But it may happen once, twice, but no, not for George Mueller. This was an ongoing thing for 60 years. And why? Because he had such an intimate relationship with God. So when we read these stories, we see how powerful God is. It causes me to ask this question. Is something missing? So many of us live such a mediocre life. We don't experience these wonderful things of God. We don't experience the glory of God in our lives. So we ask, is something missing? Extension, this is important for your challenge. May I suggest, then, that we need a paradigm shift in the way we look at prayer? Prayer should not be an activity that's added to our lives, something we do. But it should be the source from which our lives flow. You see, so many of us look at prayer as a means to an end. We want health, so we pray for health. We want this, so we pray for this. Nothing wrong with that. God invites us to do that. But for many of us, we stop there. Prayer should be an end in itself. It's the place where we grow intimacy with God. It's the place where we get to know God and we grow closer to Him. It's the place where we are transformed and become more like Christ. It is the place where He gives us that power and we get to see His glory. The problem with us is we add it to our lives, so it becomes something we need to do. Tell me, is there anybody in this room or watching online that needs one more thing to do in your busy lives? But that's the attitude we have. Some of us may have a time and we prioritize the prayer, but even there, it's something we need to do. We are the focus, it's something we are doing, instead of it being the very source of where our life flows out of. We can come to prayer, and we can actually pray, and we can hold resentment in our hearts. We can hold unforgiveness. We can come to a place of corporate prayer, but yet we're angry at the person sitting to our right, or maybe to our left. We haven't talked to them in 20 years. Or maybe we have family members that we're holding grudges against, and we're praying. But we're not gonna get intimacy with God with those prayers. Because to really pray means we are getting intimate with God. We are entering into that intimacy that he's welcoming us to share with him. Sometimes our prayer life is very lopsided. We may spend, if we're in a corporate session, we may spend 95% of the time talking about what we need to pray for, and then we spend 5% of the time praying. Very, very lopsided. Sometimes we pray prayers that are just way too small. God is wanting us to pray huge things, but we're thinking small, because we are small. We can't fathom how great God is. And also, our world is just too noisy, way, way too noisy, and way too busy to be able to pray. So we need to intentionally bring quiet around us for some time, so we can hear God's voice. Because God's voice tends to be very, very, very quiet. In his book, Blake Penson says, God can and will rule only through your intercession. If we do not see the kingdom of God vibrantly active in the communities, cities, and nations in which we live, it is because the church has not yet realized this vital truth. Have we realized this vital truth? That God is calling us, maybe to intercessory prayer, that are on a big scale, a national scale, an international scale, but we're still very small-minded over here. I'm sure that there are some of you who've experienced that intimacy with God already, and you've treasured those moments, and you know that when you get in a time of prayer and God shows up, two hours can go by like five minutes. It is so filling. It is not boring. And to feel God's presence, and to have his voice speak to us, is very, very enriching and empowering. And God can use us. God is calling all of us. And maybe for you, who have had that experience and you do have treasured times with God and you do prioritize your prayer time, maybe God is asking you, hey, are you willing to go deeper? Are you willing to go deeper? Each of us experiences God differently. Some of us really feel God's presence when we're in nature. Others, maybe when we're at home in our comfortable chair with our cup of coffee or tea beside us other people in a corporate setting. Whichever way you connect with God most, go there and spend time with God. I want to share a story now that comes from Tim Keller. Tim Keller uh, has recently passed away, but he pastored a church in New York City. And I was just listening to something he said the other day, and I thought I would repeat it here. When he was in seminary, one of his professors gave the class an assignment. They gave him, the class one Bible verse, just one, not two, just one. A Bible verse in the Bible could be as short as two words, maximum a few sentences, not very much. And she gave the class this assignment, 30 minutes, go. Spend 30 minutes with that verse in quiet and write down everything you sense God is telling you. Everything. 30 minutes. So he goes on to say that after five minutes, he couldn't think of anything else. And he says, now I've got to wait here for 25 minutes. And then slowly but surely, things started coming to his mind, and he started writing it down. And then the class came together, and they started to share wonderful things that they heard God say to them. And then the professor asked this question, for how many of you did those things come to you in the first five minutes? Nobody. How about the first 10 minutes? Nobody. So the point is, if we really want intimacy with God, we have to invest that quiet time. And there's just so much stuff bombarding our minds, bombarding our, our airwaves, that it's hard to listen to what God is trying to tell us. But if we do want intimacy, we do need to put that commitment into it. For some of us, we value certain things and we will sacrifice for those things. If we, when the Olympics come around and we see the Olympians, and they stand on the podium, we're so proud of them, and secretly we all wish that we were Olympians. But we don't know how much sacrifice they had to get on that platform or that podium. Take, for example, a sport like gymnastics where you peak at a very young age. At four years old, you've got to be working already if you want that if you want that prize at four years old, as young as four, you're you're starting, and your childhood is based around gymnastics. It's not like you go to school, and then you go to your uh, birthday parties, and then you go to your family holidays, and you fit gymnastics in through there. No, 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 no. If you want to be on that podium, it's gymnastics, and everything else goes around it, even your education. You may not be able to go, to a regular school. You may need to be tutored in between your training sessions. That's to be able to get on the podium. And that's a great, great, great achievement. But, we're, but what I'm saying to you is, if you want the intimacy with God, we have to have that paradigm shift where we take prayer and we just add it to our lives to the other area where it is the center of the way our lives flow out. So again, let's go back to our big idea. We've talked about the holiness of God. He is so holy, He is so powerful. If we were in His presence, we we would be obliterated. But because of His love, He constrains that power, and He comes to this earth as a human being to die for us. Why? Because He wants intimacy with us. And I wonder sometimes, when He has armies of angels praising Him day and night, why does He want us? But that's His great love. And He's willing to share that intimacy with us so that we can impact this world for His kingdom, and we can impact this world for good. So He's inviting us into that uh, intimacy, and now He's waiting for our response. What will we do? I'm going to end with this. We're going to leave this on the screen and we're going to have a time of silence. And I want you just to spend some time with God. We're not going to ask you anything, we're not going to ask you to share, but I just want you to spend a minute or two in that silence, in that quiet, that we have some quiet music playing, and think about these things. Am I willing to rethink the paradigm how prayer fits into my life? Is there one thing that I can take off my busy schedule in order to develop my relationship with God? What one thing can I do to organize my agenda around prayer? And will I say yes to an invitation to go deeper? Let's just spend some time in quiet thinking about that. And at this time, we are gonna transition into communion. Communion is a, it's a celebration that Christians celebrate. And it's a celebration of memory. God asks us to remember. Remember the price he paid for our salvation. On the night he was betrayed, he met with his good friends, his closest friends, and they shared a meal together. And he told them, take this bread It's gonna be a memory of my body that's broken for you. And drink of this cup, it's gonna be a memory of the blood that's gonna be shed for you. So we will now celebrate communion. If you do not have um, the communion elements, just put your hand up and Usher will give it to you. Please know that there's nothing special There's nothing magical about these elements. And in fact, the particular elements that we use now in church are very just practical because of, right over there, because of COVID. It's just a wafer and it's just some grape juice, but it's meant to symbolize the body and blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And we take this time to remember him. And if you don't know Jesus, as we take this time to remember, I invite you Take some time to get to know him. You may find that you'll be just amazed at how much he loves you. God, the all-powerful one who inhabits the highest heavens, the one whom angels adore day and night, the greatest became the least for our sakes. God became human to die for us. You asked us to remember your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for us. And as we celebrate together now, I welcome all to partake of this simple ceremony when we eat this piece of bread and drink this cup. I'm going to ask Winston Miller and Beth Cook. Winston Miller will pray for the bread and Beth Cook will pray for the cup and then we will partake together.
1: The bread is symbolic of broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for the remission of our sins. The Gospel of John chapter six, on several occasions, Jesus describes himself as a bread of life, the living bread which came down from heaven to save the world. Today, we're gonna to take this bread in a minute in remembrance of what Christ did. Let us pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the love you've demonstrated to us. The love which brought you to earth in human form. Emmanuel, God with us, and a God who allowed His body to be crushed as the prophet Isaiah graphically described it. Crushed so that we could be found sinless and have the hope of eternal life. Lord God, we thank you. Today, we reverently take time to remember what you did. And Father, we pray that you bless our time together. Let us feed on him with thanksgiving. Let us partake.
2: Let's pray together. Lord, we come this morning pretty humbled, um, having sung the songs that have been provided for us and listened to the sermon and reminded of how much you have done to be in an intimate relationship with us. So little is required of us on that initial step all we actually have to do is turn to you and that is because of the blood that you shed Um, it's hard to look at the manger without seeing the cross and knowing uh, what you yielded yourself to not one day but with every breath you took in human form and so we thank you we thank you for the provision of God with us, of humanity and deity inexplicably mingled together, so that you know our frailties. And by your blood, we are healed. We're healed from um, our infirmities, but we're also healed um, from the ravages of sin in our lives. And so today, as we drink this cup, Lord, help us. Um, Receive the healing that you are just open-handedly offering to us and let it impact our week ahead. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Let's partake together.
0: Just before we go, I'd like to remind you of a few things. Next Sunday, there will be a photo booth in the lobby before the service, if you're interested in that. We've been talking a lot about prayer. And if you want someone to pray for you at the end of the service, we'll have two people at the front. We'll have someone up in the lobby and we'll have someone circulating through the sanctuary. They all have little name tags that say prayer team. Uh, Please feel welcome to approach any of these people for prayer. And also if you feel that you need to make some changes to your prayer time, we will be having a prayer challenge starting in January. And I encourage you to listen for more details Pastor Daniel will give that to us. And now, I'll give you a benediction. This is God talking to us. Call to me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. May we all experience this, God's God's voice in our lives this week. Go in peace and have a wonderful day.